Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I title this message tonight, Busy Without First Love. Busy without first love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for these letters to these seven churches that were written to seven little churches in that day and time, and yet are written to us from which we can glean truth and make application to our own church and to our own individual lives. So, Father, I pray that we'd open our hearts before you tonight, receive your word, which can save souls, save our souls, Father, which can also strengthen and encourage us and bring conviction and help us to make things right where things need can be made right. And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, uh, last week I guess it was, that these, or the first week, that these letters to the seven churches, of course, are seven literal churches. Uh, but these letters, of course, these characteristics of these churches can be characteristics of any church at any time in any place. There are churches like these seven in our world today. Now, there's no church at Ephesus today. It's gone. And you know, it's interesting they'd left their first love. It wasn't too long that it was gone, but it was gone. Ephesus, of course, some things about it. It was a key city. It was a large city in Asia Minor, probably the largest. It was a commercial center. It's called the Market of Asia at one point in time. It was a very pagan city when Paul went there in, Acts, in the book of Acts. And, of course, it was a city where there was one, seven, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the pagan temple of Artemis built to the goddess Diana. You remember from Acts chapter 19, the uproar of the silversmiths, where they were afraid that their goddess Diana was going to be brought uh, to nothing. Um, of course, it is typical of most cities of that time. Uh, prostitution was rampant and legal. But Paul spent three years there, according to Acts chapter 19 and chapter 20, and eventually it really became, in a sense, the Christian capital of the world. Uh, that and Antioch were the two strongholds of Christianity at that time. Uh, Timothy was later sent there. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. And it's believed that Timothy pastored the church for a while. 
And, but then John pastored it, according to history. John presided there as the pastor uh, at the time of the writing of, of the epistles of John. Of course, at this point, he's been exiled uh, from there to the Isle of Patmos. But Ephesus, the, the, the name Ephesus actually means loosening. And that's interesting because the Lord says you've lost your first love. But as we think about, you know, uh, we see here the, in, this letter, of course, is written from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And if you notice in verse 1, it says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars at his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And we noted that from chapter 1 and verse 20, that the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of seven churches, and seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the stars, we believe, the word star means messenger, and we believe it refers to the pastor of the churches, and of course the candlesticks refers to the church itself. And so... You have a picture here of Christ holding the pastors in his right hand and walking in the midst of his church. Of course, this speaks of authority and control. He holds the power to continue the ministry or remove it. You know, he, one of the things he counsels them in verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So Christ could at any time remove a candlestick, a church, from being a church. Now they may still call it themselves a church, but not be a church in the New Testament sense. They would cease to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. They would cease to continue to bear witness to the, his truth. And of course, it speaks of all power. And you know, Jesus, this is not a new thing. Jesus told Pilate, remember what Jesus told Pilate? Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me. So we see this speaks of full authority and that the Lord not only is in control or in authority over his churches and has absolute authority but he also examines all his churches he's walking in the midst he's seeing the true condition of each church and he does what is necessary to trim the candlestick sort of like what a shepherd does you know in a shepherd not only leads his sheep to still waters and to green pastures but he examines them they pass under the rod. And as they pass under the rod, he examines them for parasites. You know, some of you have dogs, and every once in a while you'll probably examine your dog for ticks. You know, a tick really a parasite. It lives off of something else. It can drain the life off of something else. And so the, the shepherd will look for parasites on the sheep. He would examine them for problems. And so... The Lord is, is continuing. He's vigilant at supervision of what, looking over his candlestick. And we see that he commends this church. We see the commendation. One of those several things here. First of all, the condemnation. As he's examining this church, 
he commends them for many things. Uh, in verses uh, 2 and 3, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not as find them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Now, they were a laboring church. You notice how many times he talks about labor and working, labor and working, labor and working. I mean, I remember Brother Green called it the hyperactive church. They were active. They were busy. They were working. There was a lot going on. This word labor speaks of wearisome toil and travail, excessive toil. It has the idea or indicates that they... They went through a lot of trouble to maintain faithful service. Especially, of course, they're uh, expressly commended for exposing error. So they were, they were very faithful in that and went to great pains to expose those who taught false doctrine. So they were a laboring church. They were active, very active in the ministry. They were patient. Thy patience. Verse 2. The word patience speaks of their endurance, of their perseverance, their willingness to put up with affliction. Yet when afflictions come, they just didn't bail out. They were willing to endure it. They patiently bore opposition to the truth. There was, even in this day and time, and it's early on, of course, this time period would have been around A.D. 90. Well, actually... This is 80, 90, around 96, we believe, that John wrote the, the book of Revelation. So it had been 30 years after Paul had started church, 30-some. 30, 30 uh, you know, there was much persecution. The Roman persecution was already in, 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 in full war. And so there was, there was this lot of affliction on the churches, but they bore it patiently. They exhibited a firm uh, spirit of endurance. So they were... Laboring, patient, they were separated. He says, thou canst not bear them which are evil. Canst not bear. In other words, they would not put up with or tolerate evil in their church. They would exercise church discipline. Uh, In Romans chapter 16, Paul, Addressing the churches at Rome, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions, offenses contrary to the doctrines ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but by their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. You know, they were, were separated. In other words, they, wouldn't, they, would, they would not tolerate false doctrine. They would mark and avoid them. They would expose them for who they were. They had no sympathy, sympathy with false doctrines or practices. And they didn't cooperate with such people. And they didn't make common cause with the enemies of Christ. So they were a separated church. They also were an investigating church. You notice he says, And, ha- and, and uh, has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. In other words, when somebody came around claiming some credentials or some authority from the Lord, they would investigate them. They would check them out. They would test them. 
They sought proof. You know, there were those in those days who were claiming that they were apostles. Um, Paul talked about, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you, know, you would think that in in time when there's still apostles living, that one would be a little fearful to claim to be an apostle when he wasn't. But that's not the case. Wicked people are sometimes very bold. We see that in our world very evident. Um, anyway, verse in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, it says, For such are false apostles, defeat, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostle of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing of his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So they would investigate those who claimed apostolic authority. And, of course, there were many, uh, the, the Judaizers claimed authority. And, you know, the, remember, the, some came out of the church from the Jerusalem, uh, claiming they were sent from the church of Jerusalem, went to Antioch and, and taught false doctrine and, Jerusalem said, they went out from us, but we didn't send them out. But no, they examined them. And it says, has found them liars. You know, this shows that they had discernment. They exposed these as false prophets, as tares among the wheat, you might say. And, and the Lord calls them, those who claim this title, liars. Not too long ago, I was going up 96, and there's a church on the right. It's not there anymore. All these guys don't last too long. But something about apostle so-and-so. You know what he is? He's a liar. There are no apostles today. He is a liar. Plain and simple. So a man says if he's an apostle today, he's a liar. You know, the Mormons claim to have apostles, you know, the apostles uh, they're liars. Joseph Smith was a liar. So they were investigating church. They were also an enduring church. Uh, if you notice again in verse 3, and hast borne and patience and hast labored and not fainted. Uh, the word born indicates the bearing or carrying of a burden. So under the trials and evils that they had endured, they did not compromise or give in to murmuring and complaints. They did not ab abandon the principles of truth uh, or, or yield to the pressures. You know, there was a lot of pressure uh, in these early churches to, to, to water down the gospel or, or uh, as the, the Judaizers would go around to add works to it. Um, Paul said, wrote to the Corinthians, says, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. So there was already much corruption in that time period, in that early on. And yet they, they were steadfast. You might say they were stubbornly tenacious. So like David's mighty man that his hand clayed with the sword. In other words, he wouldn't give it up. They were, they were not faint from weariness and hard labor on account of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever trouble they encountered, they just continued to labor. And so... They were a rugged church, you might say, to deal with. They were an enduring church. They were also militant. If you notice in verse 6, But this thou hast, 
that thou hatest the deeds of the Lycolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans is only used in the book of Revelation. It's used, I think, in another one of the other churches. Uh, but the word is it's two, it's a combination of two words, nikeo, which means to conquer or to overcome or subdue or prevail, and laos, which is which means the common people, uh, and where we get our word laity. So it's really means conquering the laity or conquering the pe- conquerors of the people. That's really what the word means. And uh, again, this is the first usage of it here, the first time we see it in the Bible. And the, act, the origin of this Nicolaitan doctrine is not really known for sure, but it, it taught two heretical positions that were affecting the, the early churches. There was an abuse of grace, which meant introduced license into the church and practiced sensuality, which kind of is the Gnosticism idea, where they justified uh, this by... Uh, separating the spiritual from the physical. So they would say that you can be pure in spirit and evil in body. Uh, so you could, be, you, know, you could be pure in spirit and immoral in your life. That's kind of the idea. And along with that was this pretense of divine authority or uh, authority over people or they were above the people. So it it indicates it was a class of pastors or church leaders who thought they were above the people and above common moral law. Does this sound familiar? You look at the Catholic Church scandals. Of course, we don't have to look that far. You can look in some Baptist church scandals. You know, Jack House, he exercised this very thing. He, he introduced in sensuality into the ministry and that the pastor is above question. You weren't to question him. You weren't even to take notes. I had a pastor friend in Maine, one time he went to hear him preach and he said some of these other pastors were getting out Notebooks and pens. He said, put them away. You're not allowed to take notes from me. And he didn't, you know, I've been told by many, and I've been around some of them, that you weren't allowed to question them. In fact, I followed in a, followed in a church in Maine there, followed a house graduate who was much like him in a lot of ways, the immorality also. But anyway, uh, but you weren't supposed to question him. You weren't to question the pastor. I said, that's crazy. Paul spoke of the Bereans that these were more noble in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Who were they examining? They were examining the Apostle Paul. Was he telling the truth according to the scriptures? Pastors should invite that. I always said, if you have a question, you can come to me. Just bring your Bible and your brain. I'm glad to discuss it with you. But no, these see wanted to be over the people and above the people, considered themselves better than the people. So it indicates an attempt to establish some kind of priestly order that would have preeminence over the people of God. So like the Old Testament order of the Levite priests, but even them, they weren't allowed to 
they didn't have that privilege. Uh, this idea of clergy and bishops and archbishops and cardinals and popes was foreign to the New Testament. It's an unscriptural. And it enslaves the local church to a man or a small group of men and snuffs out the spiritual life of the church. You know, this was the first attempt, I believe, at pastors exercising authority over more than one church. This happened early on. Of course, the universal church idea was all in that, in that uh, uh, evolved in that as well. Um, you know, this would this would be the beginnings of what the 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 Catholics call apostolic succession. You see, the Pope is in the line of apostolic succession back to Peter, who was the first Pope. I'm not sure where in the Bible he got that, but. It's interesting, they claim that Peter was at Babylon, and yet the Bible talks in Revelation about Babylon being the whore. I wouldn't know why he'd want to be at Babylon. But anyway, but uh, he was at the literal Babylon. He was never at, they claim he was at Rome. They, made, they believe the word Babylon in 1 Peter 5 refers to Rome. Well, Revelation refers to Rome as the whore, Babylon. But anyway, um, they believe that they're the apostolic succession uh, goes back to Peter, and they separate church officials from the laity. And, of course, this gradually developed into what the papal system, the Catholic Church, which we have now. And, and notice what the Bible says about it. This thou hast, verse 6, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God hates it. Our Lord hates that thing, that practice. You see, this hierarchy thing of denominations and all this, God hates it. Exercising authority over the churches. Um, and, 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 and excusing licentious behavior of men to take authority and power into themselves that Christ never intended. So, so that the commendation that he gave to this church. Let's notice also the condemnation. Now, if you notice in verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, as I mentioned, the church at Ephesus was probably in its second generation, you know, 30-some years after it had been started. And though they continued to labor faithfully and, and were very busy, there was a cooling of the heart is taking place. He says, Thou hast left thy first love. You know, this can happen so subtly to a church. Uh, their, their love for Christ was becoming less glowing than before. Uh, it, it pictures a church in a state of decline. The original zeal and love for the Savior once possessed, uh, once they had once possessed, was decaying. Although there was still lots of church work, and they still went through all the routines they did before, there was a loss of fervency and a first love. Now, many have speculated, what exactly was it? Well, Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
this is what I believe it is. And I think it affects everything in the church. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47. Deuteronomy 28, 47. You know, God pronounces all these blessings and cursings on the land of Israel, on the children of Israel. And, and then he says in verse 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and thirst and nakedness and want of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. So he says, because you serve not the Lord thy God with joyfulness, you're going to end up in bondage. I'm going to chasten you. Now go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It says, And Nehemiah, which is a Tershatha, which means the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, this, daily, this, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, and notice, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And God said to Israel that because you serve not the Lord with joyfulness, I will send your enemies. And you'd be devoured off your land. He says here the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, if you lose your joy, your will, your desire, your fervor, decay has set in. Decay has set in. If you lose your joy for something, you know what you're going to do? You're going to want to quit doing it. If you hate your work, do you feel like getting up and going in the morning? No, you want to do something you enjoy. You'll no longer, see, if you, if, if you lose the joy of the Lord, you'll no longer consider it a privilege to worship and serve. It becomes a duty. I have to do this. You can still have an appearance of fervor, but it is shallow. Relationship. Where you'll be easily offended and easily and easily forsaken, and easily despised. In other words, you'll consider it of little importance. You know, do you serve the Lord joyfully? Let me ask you this way. You know, it often appears in what we call standards. Is it a joy to dress up, or do you despise it? Do you hate it? Or is it just a burden to you? Is it a joy to abide by biblical standards? Desire to please the Lord or just, well, because I have to. Uh, is it a joy or burden to listen to mu- the right kind of music or is it just a burden? 
visitation. Is it an opportunity? Or we got to do this again. You know, I have to be honest with you. You know, we don't see, we don't see, you know, we don't have them walking down the aisle and getting saved, and we don't have them, you know, signing up for 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 uh, Bible studies, salvation Bible studies, and it does get discouraging. But we ought to desire. We ought to do it joyfully. Is it a joy, husbands, to love your wife? Is it a wife is it a joy to be a homemaker, to love your husbands and your children. You know, the Bible says it's joy to the just to do judgment. In other words, it's joy to do what's right. It ought to be. Is is coming to the house of the Lord a joy or a burden? You see, when we lose our first love, those things become burdens to us. No longer we lose our joy. Those things. And when that happens, we are in a state of decay. We have left our first love. And it can happen so easily. So easily. Sometimes this, and I believe this could have been true of this church, too many things going on and the Lord's things, service can become burdensome. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said to his disciples, come ye apart and rest a while. You know, I've been in churches where they had something going on almost every night. And you know, I remember one time, we, this is, we were in uh, New Brunswick, Canada. And we were, uh, things were kind of happening up there, and we were attending this other church. And uh, they had a lot of things going on. And I was talking to this one lady, my wife and I were talking to this one lady one night, and she said, you know, we've been to church every night this week. Isn't it grand? And I thought, not really. Not really. And it wasn't because they had revival meetings. It's just that's how full their calendar was. When do you have time, to, when do you have time for your family? When do you have time to, 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 to study and meditate on the scriptures in your own time? When do you for that see they were they were very busy and they just thought it was grand you know it wasn't in a couple months that church had split see that creates a shallowness it has an appearance of spirituality but busyness does not equal spirituality it can become a burden to us and the Lord condemned this church Though they were very busy, they were very active, they were, uh, you know, they investigated, they, they did not tolerate evil, they, you know, they looked right and everything, but he said, you've lost your first love, your joy of the Lord. And you're in danger. And so he counsels them. So he counsels them, and notice in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. So, you know, the, the, good, the, the, the wonderful thing about our Lord is, you know, he will, he, will, he will tell us what's wrong, but he won't cast us off. He'll counsel us. He'll instruct us. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you get it right. First of all, you need to remember, wherefore from thence. You know, think about where you've come from. Think about the past. You know, when, mar- when a marriage grows cold, 
back to days of courtship. When you took time for the one that you said you were going to spend the rest of your life with. You know, and when you, after you get married, you know, that's done. And boy, we just get on. We're busy about things and don't take time for each other. What happens? It can grow cold. Relationship can grow cold. And so the Lord says, you remember, wherefore, from thou whence thou art fallen. The second thing he says to do is repent. In other words, change your mind and your purpose along with your conduct. Do an about face. Renew your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. Maybe just sin of trying to do too much. Or maybe you've allowed other things or have some misplaced priorities in your life that you need to change. Uh, but it requires a renewal of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, do the first works. Um, you know, do what you did at first, when you first got saved. When you hungered for the word of God, read your Bible daily, prayed as you once did, serve as you once did, uh, couldn't wait till the doors of the, of the church were open. Uh, you open your heart, your hand, your pocketbook, as you once did, to the things of God. See, do the first works. So, he counsels us, or else. <laughs> you ever say to somebody, maybe you say to your child, you do this or else. Remember Bob Mitchell saying one time, he told somebody, you're going to do this or else. He said, I'm not sure what else I was going to do, but I did say it. Well, when the Lord says that he has something in mind, he's going to do it, or else I will judge. You see, we can either, the Lord counsels us and we can get right and, and have our relationship renewed with him, or he will come as a judge and remove our candlestick. You notice again verse 5, that Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So, there's two things here. Two things here I want to mention about this. First of all, leaving your first love is the first step toward a serious fall. It's the first step. And will it result in, if, in forfeiting your testimony? If Jesus noticed, he said, I'll remove thy candlestick. Secondly, think about this. No amount of works can make up for a church's love for her Savior. You know, a church can continue to go through all the motions. Many of them do. They just go through the motions week after week, not really, you know, I think part of this is not, they're, they're not, they don't really re-examine. Are we doing what's right? Every once in a while, I, I think about our visitation. Is there something else we should be doing, according to the scriptures?
you know, sometimes um, we in, in, in our deacons meetings, we, we examine things just to re-examine things. You know, we need to, Paul told the church at Corinth, to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves, lest you be reprobates. And so, so we need to examine ourselves and consider where we are in a relationship uh, with the Lord. Uh, and then notice the promise that he gives to this church. In verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the Lord makes a promise to this church. Uh, you know, he, gives them a, an, he challenges them in an invitation to make things right, and then he gives them a promise. And, of course, you have to have ears to hear. Ears to hear. You know, there's, there's people that, that don't, don't hear or are dull of hearing. Paul talked about the children of Israel, the Jews that were always dull of hearing. They heard, but they didn't hear. And there are many who are dull of hearing. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul writing to the, the Hebrews in Jerusalem, I believe that was where he, this was intended, he said, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. So, of course, this speaks of those who are not willing to hear what the Spirit of God has to say when he speaks through his word. and It speaks of a rebellious spirit. And so, there's, there's those that are dull of hearing, but we need to be willing to hear. Uh, of course, this would indicate those who are spiritually minded, who want to do the truth, do what is right, to adhere to the truth. And, and of course, uh, this is evidenced by one who will respond to the word of God and change his conduct. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 22 to 25. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Let's, let's go back up to verse, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to, ra- uh, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receiveth meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be your doers of the word, and not hearers only. That would be the dull of hearing, the not hearers, hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we need to be like the... The man that looks into the glass and says, I need to comb my hair. I need to wash my face. And does it. Not one looks in the mirror and says, well, I kind of look bad this morning, but oh well, who cares. And goes through right day and out of the day and you know, everybody looks at him and says, looks like he just crawled out of bed. And he forgets about it. No, we need to lay apart. Filthiness, superfluity, wrath, and all these things. And, and be swift to hear. You see, we have a picture here of our Lord as a good shepherd, 
does, inspecting a sheep, and, and finding things that there are problems, and then counseling us how to rid ourselves of the sin that defiles us like a parasite that weakens the body of what it's attached to. Think about it, when you pull a parasite, or get rid of a parasite on an animal, it's for the animal's good. This is for our good. It's for the Lord's glory, but it, but it is also for our good. Because sin, in our life, will destroy us. Sin destroys And so, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And to him that overcometh, to him that has victory, to him that obeys, and save people are overcomers. First John 5, 4 and 5, uh, John, in his epistle, First John 4, 4 and, or just John 5, 4 and 5, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. See, we can overcome through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God that indwells us. We can be overcomers. We can, we can continue to abide in Christ for victory and, 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 and overcome sin if we'll simply obey him. But we need to have we understand we are at a war. But we can have victory over those besetting sins. We can have victory over the world and its temptations. We can learn to refuse to follow the world. We can stand against the world when it's right to do so. We can learn to be in the minority, whether it be family or friends. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You know, your pleasure of sin is only going to last a little while. That's going to bring misery. We can have victory over prevalent error as they were here, over the trials and tribulations of life. We can endure afflictions because we have our Lord to strengthen us, to help us. And he says, He that overcometh, why give to eat of the tree of life? There is a reward. We'll get to eat of the tree of life. You know, this is a tree, the same tree that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 2, which Adam and Eve were then forbidden to eat of after they'd sinned. But it's spoken of in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 2. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 2. It says, In the midst of the street of it, let us read verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on the either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It says, If he that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree 
of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we have assurance of heaven. We're going to eat of the, get to eat of the tree of life. This speaks of abundant life in Christ. Now, I've, I've never in my life heard of a tree that bear 12 manner of fruits. And every month. This is paradise restored. What was lost will be more than recovered. And of course, this is a reward for those who overcome. You see, the Lord is walking in the midst of our church. He's inspecting. He's examining. He may be saying, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. That's not. He'd be saying, well, that that one's fervent, but that in there, well, they're kind of lame. So where is it with you tonight? You know, he said, you know, this is a serious thing when he says, and it's simply because they left their first love. That doesn't sound all that serious. It's our way of thinking, does it? But like, like he said to the children of Israel, because you served the, not the Lord with joyfulness. You know what they began to do? They began to look around at all their neighbors and start to envy all their neighbors. Sort of like Asaph in Psalm 73. He said, I became envious of the foolish, of the wicked. Because they seem to prosper in this world. You know, sometimes I look at my neighbor and I think, it would be nice to have all his money. And I think about all the problems he has. And you know what I say? No, thank you. Don't want it. No, thanks. And you know, he has no hope of eternal life. Thinks he does. Might God help us to serve the Lord with joyfulness with fervor yes to labor yes to investigate those that say they're apostles we would say today investigate the pastors you know we just don't have anybody that allow anybody to preach here or anybody to sing here can't walk in the door and give special music unless we know where you're from you know, I get calls every once in a while. Hey, the good old boys uh, quartet has got to be in the area if you want to. No, no, thank you for the good old boys quartet. I remember when we was in Lee one time, I had this group of people walk in one Sunday morning. <laughs> Some of them, the men even had shorts on. Anyway, they asked if they could sing. And I said, well, we have special music. You know, I didn't want to be offensive. I try not my best to be offensive. Anyway, but I said we we do have special music, and and you know we we 
we have to check out the music. And it was a lady who asked me, by the way. And uh, anyway, and so they went back out in the hallway, and they were talking amongst themselves. You know what they did? They went back out the door and went somewhere else. You know, they didn't come to hear the preaching of the Word of God. I guess they thought they were above the pastor. No, we need to examine these things. That's our responsibility as a church to investigate. But we are, we need as his, his, as his church to serve the Lord with joy. Um, we have, and we can. We have the best there is. God, we have a good God. And the Christian life is the abundant life. Let's serve him with joyfulness.